Welcome to Lead to Succeed. This is the podcast to hear from the leaders of today in various fields, from entrepreneurs to corporate directors. We hear their stories, lessons learned and challenges faced, as well as insights and advice to become a successful and an inspiring leader. The podcast is presented by us, Callum and Rebecca Jenkins, as we both believe that we all have the potential to be outstanding leaders if that's what we choose. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of our Lead to Succeed podcast, hosted by myself, I'm Rebecca and Callum Jenkins. Hi everyone. And today we're very excited to have Frank Kelt as our guest. Now Frank is the co-founder and partner of the 2Y3X program. You might want to just explain a little bit behind that title, Frank, but we're going to kick off with you, maybe giving an in, a bit of an insight into that and a bit about you before we get into, into the questions. Uh, okay, well, I'm, a, I'm an American, and uh, although I'm now a dual national, I'm also a British uh, citizen, um, and I grew up in, uh, in Brooklyn, New York. My parents were European, they didn't speak English. So I had a colorful background from the very start, and uh, as a child, I wanted to have an international life because I thought the people who would come visit my uh, parents were more interesting than the people from the neighborhood. So I was very interested in doing that. And I wound up uh, actually, and, you know, my hobby was learning languages. And I wound up, um, I wound up uh, launching magazines, something I never intended on doing, uh, simply partly because I spoke Italian. And there was a, a tremendous need in Italy for what I knew and uh, wound up starting there. I've since had a, a colorful background doing publications and then launching, uh, uh, well, this uh, 2Y3X is the latest, uh, latest launch, which was a, it's a company that helps companies to accelerate their growth. And 2Y means two years and 3X is three times your revenue. And um, my partner, Felix uh, Velarde, has been very successful uh, for the last few years doing exactly that. And um, it's a system that works. And, um, and we're now spreading it to more. You know, we're, we hope to do it in several countries and do it in several areas. So not just agencies, but um, tech companies and things like that that we think uh, could benefit from our approach. Well, that, that sounds really exciting. We, we hazard a guess that that might be the, well, Callum did actually, give him the credit, to be honest. He thought that was probably the rationale behind the, um, the, the title and name of the company. So, okay. Frank, we know you've, we've shared some stories with you previously, and we're looking forward to hearing those come through and how, they've, how you've developed your career um, mm -hmm. to where you are now. But let's just start off with that first question. What do you think are the key differences between being a manager and a leader? Uh, well, I think that uh, managers are really, I, I've always needed managers because I tended to be very creative in terms of the kinds of recommendations I'd make to clients about what we could do together and how they can approach a marketplace. It, it, it really required other people to manage the uh, the execution of the the ideas that I had, which the client was very enthr you know enthralled and en enticed by, and I would have <laughs> I had a wonderful uh, 
assistant uh, head of marketing who would accompany me. And I often, when we walked out of meetings, I'd say, um, I want to make sure that there's nothing I said that was a lie. Because for me, it's very important. If I say I can do something, I can do it. And I said, is there anything that I said that we can't do? <laughs> because sometimes we were creating product. We were, create, we were, we were taking a concept and, uh, and we hadn't actually tried it before. So we were saying, you know, can we technically do something like that? And, uh, and I had trusted, I had managers who were very, they weren't as good, I guess, in, um, in coming up with the ideas that were kind of, innovative uh, takes on, on what the client needed, but they were very good in terms of uh, harnessing all the, um, uh, all the strengths that we had within the company to uh, fulfill that dream. And so this, and the leader <laughs> manages the expectations of the client. Okay. And, and manages also that vision because the vision, you know, I used to say that it was easier to launch a magazine um, when it had nothing, if you had no, you hadn't had, a, you hadn't made a dummy, you hadn't done um, some of the pre-testing, I would draw pictures. And when you draw a picture, and especially when you're a terrible artist like me, you draw a picture, it's a stick figure. And I would give, I would describe what the person is seeing and they would follow me. And they were uh, very kind, everyone was very kind to me. They would follow my horrible looking drawings and they'd say, yes, and then we could do it like this. And I said, yes. <laughs> and we were, creating, we were creating a magazine that didn't exist. Okay. And, and so it could be anything. And uh, when, you're, um, when you're a leader, I think very often you you're in the situation where you know what's missing. You know that your organization isn't perfect. You know that there's a long way to go before you achieve the vision that you have in your mind, but you need to keep people high, you know, pumped up and excited by the reality that you can create. And uh, to me, it's been very, very uh, satisfying to, uh, to, to walk through that kind of thinking with clients and also with your own, you, you know, you have clients internally, the people who work with you and for you are the other form of clients. And, um, and they have to be really, uh, they have, they're on your side and they need to believe more than anyone. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's like that, that I, I always uh, worked. So do you sort of, sorry, do you sort of view it as almost like a bit of a pipeline then, Frank? Like, you know, the leader is kind of the, the front end of the business, let's say, with coming up with the creativity and the ideas and inspiring clients and the other customers. And the manager is more like a back end side of it, we're actually handling the execution of it and putting that, putting those ideas in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty close. I think the uh, the manager makes sure that the uh, the leader doesn't look like a fool for having promised stuff he can't do, and uh, and the best is when the manager is really happy being the manager and has absolutely no desire to be the true leader. I, I had a guy in in New York who's wonderful uh, um, operations person, and um, and he was he we uh, we launched some things there that were challenging because there was very little money and there was um, a, you know big expectations and this guy was just rock solid and you know would work the hours it needed to for us to actually be able to push through these concepts and it was fantastic sure. but he was he was not the leader he was the uh, the head of operations so he was the leader of operations yeah. sure, no, that, that makes sense 
And what I was going to ask you, Frank, is you've had quite a varied career from, you know, being an advisor to a partner to a founder, sort of various different roles. Do you think there was a time in your career where you transitioned from a manager to more of a leadership position? Um, I think I was always, I was always sticking my neck out doing things which I never thought were, I never thought they were particularly dangerous. I, my attitude was, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> I'll stick my neck out. Someone might cut my neck off, <laughs> you, know, not, you know, cut me up. Um, that's a New York term, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I was never really, uh, I actually thought that the stuff I was doing, if it worked, it would be great. If it didn't work, I tried. And, um, and I think that um, I was a terrible, you know, I was, do, I was studying um, uh, finance uh, with General Electric, my first job, um, and they had the uh, international projects department I was doing, I was learning about international finance, which is something that I would never, I, I would never become a finance manager. I would never be the person taking care of the, um, the auditing of other people's expenses. And although I did that, sure. and I'm not frightened to do it, but it's not, it's not something I, I can do with joy. And I think that part of, uh, for me, it's always been really important to do stuff that had a, an element of fun in it. Um, and there was serious uh, opportunity to help a lot of people uh, succeed in whatever they're doing. I always came from uh, the point of view that I was at, at the service of others. And if I could help them achieve their dreams and their objectives, then we would do well. And I never was like dealing, uh, you know, it wasn't straight transaction. I would help. I didn't expect immediate uh, recompense for all that. It would happen over time and it did. Um, so what happened with me? I know Cam's got another question, but okay. as, as a philosophy, um, Frank, I really resonate with that because it means that you're seeing it from the other person's perspective and you're going to help them. And I think if you can um, embody that in a way of working, it yep. will reap benefits in the long term. And as you say, you don't expect these things to, ha to happen overnight. Yep. But it's, 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 I think it's the right approach to client acquisition and selling that you... Yep. Well, actually, it's interesting. I'm doing a, um, a presentation on Friday um, this week. Um, about structured selling because you know when we started these computer magazines and in the olden days when there were computer magazines there were in in every country there were hundreds of publications and there was very little differentiation from one to another the difference you know we studied clients we went to clients and tried to and, and interviewed quite a few of them to try to understand how did they perceive the salespeople and how do they perceive the different publications? What were the, di the, the things that made a difference? And one of the major uh, differences was putting our, our feet in the shoes of the other, to actually understand what are they going through and to not do what I see all the time. I see it every, every time I go into a meeting, people come in and they, they are unconscious of what are the, the challenges that the, the leader on the other side is dealing with, um, what are the, the problems that they woke up with, 
Um, and uh, there's no attempt to uh, use, uh, to engender empathy. Uh, it's really all about me, 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 me. And that's the absolute, you know, I've been there and I have politely thrown people out of the office because they're not helping me solve my problems. And their only reason for being, frankly, is to help me solve my problems. If they can't do that, they have nothing to sell. And I really don't have the patience any longer to put up with people who are just there to, to uh, pitch me without really any, any description and any understanding of what the benefit is for me. And, and, um, and so I, um, this is like one of the, we, we called it structured selling, and which is not, it doesn't feel structured, it doesn't feel confining, but it is a manner of putting yourself last, mm -hmm. actually starting off and, and, and showing the client that you've done your homework, you know what their needs are, you've understood how the, the market works and who their buyers are. And with all of that, finally, you, have the, you, you, you talk about what their goals could be. If you've done it right, you're then, then you earn the right to say, oh, by the way, let me tell you about us. Okay? It's sort of at the end of this whole effort to show, to, to prove that you have bona fides. You're, 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 um, you're someone who's part of their world. And, um, and you have earned the right to, uh, to your opinion and your view. And, and that's how, how we've done it. And that's how I've done I do it all the time because, because I feel very privileged when someone gives me any time at all. It's uh, given how time pressured everyone is. Um, it's really a privilege. And you, they deserve at least some of your attention, some of your brain power to, to talk about how, how you might help them solve their problem. It's no longer a, um, a struggle of, um, um, you know, of fighting uh, between the, the seller and the buyer. This is a much more collaborative manner of selling. It's a much more co-creative fashion of uh, imagining the, the sales process. And if you manage to together come up with a solution, you've built a relationship that could last forever. And I have people that I knew, you know, when I was 25, 26, who are still, which was a, a little while ago, uh, but they're still friends. They're people who remember some of the things we did together. And it's a beautiful thing to have people that have, we've all grown, we all grow over time. And, um, and we started off on a solid foundation of trust and, uh, and support. And um, I think it's fantastic. It's one of the things um, for me, the whole selling area needs to be, um, I don't know if the word is nobleized, but to me, to, to sell well is to support your client. And it's a form of art. It's a little bit like jazz, where the practitioners, they, if they're really good, they start together, they separate and do their own separate uh, uh, solo uh, elements. And then they come back together and they're even stronger. And it's a beautiful process that's true in art and music and poetry. And I think in, in sales as well. And, um, and I like to see that. Yeah, I think that's one of the few times I've heard sales and poetry used in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is in, in other countries and maybe a bit here as well, 
the, the bottom of the totem pole of the, the social and economic hierarchy, the salespeople tend to be at the bottom of the list. And this was especially true in France, where salespeople were like beaten down. They were, you know, they were the bin, the guy who took away the bins of rubbish in the morning, they had a higher status than the salespeople. And, uh, and I changed the salespeople to being cons consultants. They were there and they knew more about the marketplace than most people because we trained, we learned about it. It was important and it gave them the, the self-confidence they needed to be able to do, uh, do their job and do it, do it properly. So we stood out. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think it's the way to go. And uh, I think it's really important. And sales, let's not forget, sales enables everything. Okay, without selling, there is nothing. There's maybe handouts, there might be loans, but that's a measly way of living. Wow. And I'd rather, rather uh, make the money from our own effort and our own understanding of the marketplace. Um, I know, uh, I know Mum will definitely have a lot to say on, on what you just said there, Frank. Um, but a quick question, you talked about at the start, you know, when you were going to these meetings with your clients and you wanted to make sure that you didn't actually say anything that you couldn't fulfill on. Um, and you talked about just now about kind of coming up with the solution to your clients' problems rather than just selling them on, on what you can do. Was there ever a time when you felt um, you perhaps you um, promised you could do something and it was going to be like a real challenge to be able to deliver on that or you had an existing relationship with a client and they actually, you had to modify that in some way and it was just something that felt like a really difficult thing to undertake? I think that, that there were times, <laughs> I was just thinking of a, a major mistake that was made. Um, where we printed something in, a, in uh, I think it was in German. Mm. And uh, there's German from Germany and there's German from Switzerland. Right. <laughs> They're different. Yeah, sure. uh, I didn't quite appreciate how different they were <laughs> until we printed this, this cover and there was, it was in Swiss German, but right. most of my clients were in Germany. And, um, and Swiss German is not German. I mean, it's a different form of German. And the Germans, it took a couple of years before they allowed me to apologize properly, that they accepted my apology. I apologized from the beginning, but it took a couple of years before um, I was uh, allowed to uh, forget about it. They wouldn't let me forget it. You know? And I did the same thing, by the way, since we're... This is like the confessional. The, um, I was uh, in, in France at one point, and I told the uh, president of a big um, uh, company called BASF, mm -hmm. um, I told him, I went into the meeting and he said, how long have you been here? I said, well, we've been here for six months, which was an exaggeration. <laughs> um, and, and he says, well, we've been here for 24 years, something like that. I says, you are not going to come here and tell me what to do because I was telling him what to do. This was before I had learned that you don't tell people what to do. You suggest that maybe perhaps who knows, they might've thought about something and, uh, and let them come up with the idea themselves. But I actually was the young, uh, insistent, uh, energetic guy um, pushing my way. And, and it resulted in a lot of learning about how not to do that. Uh, in terms of some of the projects we had, 
um, I think if you're honest about what's entailed in pulling something off and actually um, uh, creating an event or creating some kind of a content piece that would reach certain kinds of uh, people, if the foundation of that um, of the idea was explained and shared with your client, it's why co-creation is a good thing because you're all <laughs> involved in the success or in the uh, less than successful outcomes, um, the client will accept it. There's a certain amount of uh, experimentation um, that uh, gives exclusivity, if you will. You can be, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies don't like to risk anything, but a lot of the best ideas are based on, on risk. You're trying something others haven't tried before. And, uh, and the, great, the greatness of that is if, if you hit it right, it's like everyone says, oh, what a great idea. And they start to follow it and they start to copy it. Um, but, uh, and if it doesn't work, it becomes almost something that bonds you two together with the marketing director on the opposing on it's not the opposing side on your client side and you're um it, it's a um it's a, it's a it's a great way to build experience and camaraderie and um and it usually goes well so long as there's honesty when people lie when people do things that you know they know are not in the interest of the client it can go very much the other way. And, and not only the individual involved gets hurt, but the company itself gets damaged. The reputation of the company gets damaged. So when that occurs, the leader uh, has to get rid of people like that. That's, you know, they, they can poison the whole, uh, the manner in which the uh, company is perceived. <laughs> Frank, I'd like to come back to your point on sales and client acquisition and growing and retaining clients. And I agree 100% with your perspective on that. It has to be a collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to just talk about, you know, what three pieces of advice would you give to managers um, who are aspiring to become leaders? Now that might be in sales or it might <coughs> be across a different, um, a different function, for example. But what would, what would you say, you know, kind of the three practical things that somebody could be listening one of our listeners could be listening to this and think oh yes i could go and implement that with my team or i could change something to improve performance um, in the business so well, just I, I think i think the um i think there's a few things that are really important to get into the habit of and um, uh, i'd say a curious mind and stimulating your own curiosity beyond what's required, you know, clearly defined as your managerial role. There is the imagination that comes from diving into um, a business that's not your own. It's the business of your client. And to uh, be able to help the leader, to put yourself as the person who helps the leader to shine, it's a great, a great opportunity to see whether or not you understood what the leader's needs are and you're able to um, put in the effort to learn about stuff that you wouldn't normally uh, need to know, and, but you're doing it because it feeds your mind and, it, and by knowing more and more about how different market areas work, 
you become increasingly valuable. Um, and, and, you know, I, I did a, a presentation with a trip advisor a while, a few years ago, where I had all of their salespeople from around the world, they were all together. And I started talking to them about the sales business and what's good, uh, about the business of, of um, uh, hotels, planes, you know, hospitality, that sort of thing. Now, I don't come from the hospitality industry. I'm not in the, in the travel business. I don't know anything about traveling, except I had done some research before I went into that meeting so that I knew what was the buzz in the marketplace. And I call it the jungle. I call it the, you know, there's a drumbeat in every jungle. Every industry has a jungle. And what is the, what are the, the key rhythms going on in, within each of those jungles? And, um, and I had learned by reading some of the trade press uh, and, uh, and doing a little bit of research on what the CEO had, had talked about and, you know, what their annual report says and stuff like that, stuff that's publicly available. Um, and when I got up and did the, did the presentation, people thought I was in the, in the travel business. And, um, and I knew, you know, and I could cite a few facts um, or factoids that would be um, that anyone in the, in the travel business, they'd say, yes, that is an important thing. And they would like, we could start talking about it. So as, a, as an aspiring leader, that level of curiosity shows culture. It shows a. Um, it shows that you've actually uh, that you're a respectable and respectful person, and that you're um, you are not going to waste anyone's time. So that when you can eventually become like the consigliere, okay, the person who is like in the Godfather, the guy who's whispering in the ear of the of your clients, client CEO giving him your opinion because he wants it. Okay. He wants the opinion because you have, you're, you're broadly read. You understand lots more than what is the confines of your, your present job. You're actually able to talk about anything. And so that's a lifelong <laughs> process of learning. And for me, it's the best thing you can do uh, is to either give a, a, uh, a gift of knowledge or continue to be uh, increasing your own knowledge. So whenever you're talking with someone, they actually are saying, boy, I'm glad, I'm glad we talked. I look forward to seeing you again. And they start buying you. You can say anything. Uh, so long as you're true to that, that element of giving gifts of knowledge, that they will listen to you and they'll be interested. And as appropriate, they'll buy from you. But this is not selling in the traditional you could almost call this unselling okay it's not it's not fighting it's not uh, it's not uh, that the tough uh, negotiation on one percent here or one percent there because you're beyond that you're talking really about the things that that matter most to the development of a business which is not a discount of one percent or five percent on a uh, on an advertising page or or something like that well i think we'll have to have another conversation about this offline frank because we could oh share so many examples on this and i agree it, the traditional type of selling is not the way forward and it gives sales or client acquisition 
um, a poor name. So I've got your number one thing being having a curious mind and always wanting to explore beyond what you know and find out about the client. I've got your second one perhaps being the gift of knowledge. Yep. You have a third. Can I pin you down for a third one? A third recommendation for the would -be. A third. Um, something. Well, maybe we could phrase it in a different way. I was going to follow up with asking the, the customers that you work with in your 2Y3X program, not customers, mm -hmm. sorry, companies, do you find that the leaders of those companies, the ones that generally are more successful, do, they, do the leaders of those companies typically exhibit any, any qualities that's kind of common across the board? Perhaps thinking about they're, it in that sort of sense? They're, they're all owners. Sure. And they're in it. They they absolutely want to grow the company, and they're often on plateaus. They've done everything they know, and they're not able to get to the next level. And uh, and we have seen that time and again. And and usually you can say you can say two things to our our clients or our would be clients. Where do you want to be in three years' time? It's the kind of question that that results in, in the owner looking in the horizon because they're actually thinking about it. And, and usually it's something about making enough money that they can retire or do something else. Um, and that they're going to probably take a nice uh, holiday <laughs> when this, when this exit, they're looking at an exit. Um, and so they're always the owners. They're always looking for the, the, uh, the, the potential for growth. And they need help in getting beyond the, uh, the plateau. So which plateau are they at? Are they at the million pound revenue plateau? Or are they the three million pound revenue uh, plateau? But they all have the, a limitation where they could find the kind of support that we provide uh, very useful to growing their company and growing beyond where they are. And, and that's the other thing. The, this came about when my partner, Felix uh, Villardi, had set up a number of uh, agencies, and he uh, he did not have a two y three x. It didn't exist, so he had to learn all this stuff on his own, making a lot of mistakes. And 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 you know it was uh, let's say a mixed a mixed outcome all the time. And he had some major successes and not so major successes, but they were all successful in terms of teaching him uh, about how to simplify some of the frameworks that we use. Um, all of the all of the companies that we see can benefit from what Felix learned and transformed into the methodology and approach that we used. And um, and when I think about it, I think about how many times companies just need uh, they need someone who can be on their side, but also holds them to account. Okay, we're on the same side. We all have the same kinds of goals. And the first thing we do with 2Y3X is, is figure out what is the goal three years hence? What do they want to be? And if you're clear where you want to be and why you want to be there, okay, and, there's, and, there's a, and, and, and the group, the company itself, the, the main leaders within the company are all in agreement with that, that's tremendously powerful. And you can get a lot done when there's this kind of alignment of beliefs um, and goals. So do you think that could almost be summarized in a sense of, in a general way of kind of being open to other sources of um, kind of advice as a leader, not just 
looking internally but looking externally for other ways of how you can grow and develop your either your company or yourself as a leader do you think that would could be a way to summarize it um maybe that's a bit too generic i, I don't know well no I, I think that there's um the way of solving it is what the the the, the growth lab group there's a small team that we put together that is from the company. It's their ideas. They need nudging. We help. We do the intelligent nudging and the intelligent um, um, uh, roadmap, mm. such that the the company can achieve what they want to, and in a way that's not overwhelming. So we chunk it down to to manageable bits. You know, month by month, quarter by quarter. Sure. You know, in what in what order do things need to take place? So. Frank, when we, before we had this podcast, we had a chat and we talked about your myriad of different um, experiences as a leader. And maybe now as we just kind of come to, to wrap up this, this cast, what would you say has been some of your biggest achievements or your, or your most successful moments or your proudest moments as a leader? I'm sure you've got so many to choose from, but something well, that perhaps inspire others because you're quite keen on taking risks and i think sometimes as leaders we don't all fall into that category but maybe some things where you've perhaps taken a risk and it's led to a great outcome well i think it's i think when you're younger it's easier to uh to take the risks you have less to lose and um, you have a lot to gain by by taking those risks i i sometimes see companies um, propose stuff to me where the leader doesn't care. I mean, it's clearly their, their risk is that their business goes out of business and they just pick up and go to another company and do the same thing. The risk for the person like me who may, might have an organization is much uh, um, in, in a way dangerous because other people's uh, livelihood is at stake if you uh, stick your neck out a little bit too far. I, the question of what what would I be most proud of is a an idea that um, came about to me when I was in Acapulco on the beach, and um, and I noticed all these uh, parents uh, with their children and and um, all Spanish of course, um, and and it occurred to me I wondered whether or not there were magazines for mothers and mothers to be. Uh, in, for, in the United States in Spanish. And I got back to New York and I went to all the Spanish speaking neighborhoods and I went to the news agents and there wasn't a single publication in Spanish for uh, mothers and mothers to be. And I said, wow, that's amazing. And uh, I came up with, a, um, with three magazines, one for women who were pregnant, one for women who just had a, a baby uh, and one for young kids, for, for parents with young kids, like Parents Magazine. Um, the, each one of them had their own distribution, which uh, distribution channel, which didn't exist. It was a channel that I created because there were 10 states that had about 80, 90% of all the Hispanic uh, people in America at the time. They were basically concentrated in a small number of states. I could, get the, I could get the addresses and phone numbers of all of the pediatricians, of all of the people who, all the hospitals that were in Hispanic, area, Hispanic areas. 
all the pediatricians, the um, obstetrician gynecologists, these were available to me. And, um, and we created a publication, free publications that were supported by advertising. Uh, and they were, the magazines were distributed through the doctor's offices or through the hospitals. And the hospitals and doctors would simply every month say, did they need more or less? Okay, because we didn't want to waste anything. We got them involved. The first issue that we put out, it was called uh, um, Una Nueva Vida, A New Life. For, it was a, a magazine that came and inserted in a bag that you got with gifts from uh, the hospital, from the supporters of the hospital. And in, that mag in, in the bag was one magazine. It was my magazine. And we had Ford Motor Company, General Motors, Pampers, Procter & Gamble, Scott, all of these major brands who normally wouldn't go into a first-time nobody, <laughs> nobody person uh, uh, a company. They all supported it. And this, uh, this little operation was, you know, we were making a million dollars profit in the first year, which is not a tremendous amount of money, but it's something to actually go from zero to a million in profit, just like that. And without any money, I recruited, I went to the um, Parsons School of Design uh, in New York and Columbia School of Journalism. And I went to the graduating class and I looked at all the portfolios. I eliminated everyone who didn't have a, an Hispanic name. This is very, uh, I did high level filtering. Um, and, uh, and, and I told all these people, they were graduating. I said, I can't pay you much because I don't have any money. Okay, but if you do this, you can help humanity and you can get a job anywhere you want in the future which essentially happened. We wound up a fantastic team of people, beautiful, uh, all dedicated because we were helping a part of humanity. We were, helping a, we were helping people who didn't have access to the information except in English. And there was a lot of people who prefer speaking Spanish in America. So that was, I thought that was weird. One of the, one of the great, great times. Uh, I was actually reminded so that was one, but uh, there was another, another one. Again, we talk about uh, having to uh, think quickly. Um, I, I worked with um, the biggest trade show in the world for the music business, uh, a company called MIDEM, which stands for Marche Internationale de Disque d'Edition Musicale, whatever. <laughs> but it's where rights were bought and sold for music. And, um, and small, small labels in America uh, could not participate because it was so expensive. So I sold the concept of a, a group stand, a group, uh, a group stand exhibition area where they could share listening rooms and office space and stuff like that. And I wanted to make it a big deal. So I wound up calling out of the blue. I just called uh, one of the beer companies. I think it was Miller in America. And I called up, I got the marketing director and I said, you know, you guys sponsor, you sponsor concerts in the park. Well, why not sponsor the most important event in the world for the business of music? And uh, it's in Cannes in Southern France. He says, so what do you want? I said, I don't know. How about 50, 50 cases of beer? He said, let me get back to you. And he calls back. He says, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 500 cases of beer. 
I didn't ask for 500. I said, I'll give you 500 cases of beer, but you have to move it from America to France. I said, okay, well, thank you. I got 500 cases. I just, it's in the wrong country. Um, and I called up Air France and British Airways, marketing director. I put one, I pitted one against the other and I got British Airways to buy in and they, they got it. They said, well, bring it to Nice. Okay, uh, to Nice Airport, but then you have to get it to Cannes. <laughs> so there again, how do we get it to Cannes? I got I got the uh, another person who was involved with all of the trade organizations to to do that, and he he took that part. And finally, I got Medem organization to give me uh, hostesses to distribute the beer during the happy hour that we have every day to create the the, the whole um, the atmosphere. And it was, again, it was one thing after another, and it brings everyone involved much closer together, and it creates a, a history, uh, a history where you know you can do, deal with things that are out of the ordinary, and it gives you confidence that the future, you know, throw anything you want at me, I can deal with it. And I think that's really important to transition from being a manager to being a leader. That's um, a fantastic summary for us to, to close on, Frank. Um, for me, it demonstrates your real commitment to creativity and having ideas. That's one thing, isn't it? It's following them through. And that's what, you've, that's what you're really demonstrating here. Take your ideas forward. They don't all have to work. But as you say, some will stick and become your proudest, proudest moments. Yep. So yep. thank you very much for sharing that with us. We've really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I'm Frank. I really appreciate it. I think that's similar to what you said, Mom. I really like the idea of you know seeing a problem, doing a bit of research on it, seeing that there's not actually a solution for it, and then kind of being nimble enough to actually make that happen, and then also yeah. being quite clever in the way that you implement that and getting it to your customers. I really quite like that. I thought that was a um, really innovative approach to, to doing it. Um, and this is an incredible time to try things, innovative things. And uh, I get really excited when I work with young uh, entrepreneurs because they're thinking differently. There's a lot of tools that they had that we never had. And uh, I, I love it. I think it's a wonderful time. So um, thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you, Frank. And we would just like to say to our listeners that tomorrow we will also have a podcast, which will be Callum and myself just chatting about your interview and the key takeaways and having the perspective of Callum being a millennial and me being older <laughs> and sharing our thoughts on what you've shared with us today. But you've been so generous with your time, Frank. We really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. And Thank people you. can get in touch with you if they would like to find out a little bit more about your program. What would be the best way to do that? Frank at 2y3x.com. There we go. Thank you, Frank. On that note. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye.